0: once you achieve something you think that's it but the reality is that it's not like you need to have your own reason to keep doing these things like the goal isn't ever like the result that you think it's going to be you know you need to have the drive in there for your own
1: hello and welcome to episode three of how do you end up doing that with me alex jeffers This podcast is all about speaking to people about jobs they've ended up doing and what got them into doing it. Because usually people have got a bit of a story to tell about how they ended up doing what they're currently doing if it's slightly out of the ordinary. This week's episode is with Joe Latham, who has gone on a journey from studying design at university through being in a band and making a living kind of customising MySpace pages for people, and now works as a graphic novelist, with a few stops in between. We also talk on his feelings of imposter syndrome, how a lack of confidence potentially put his career on the back foot, and how he ended up designing golf balls for Vernon Kay. Joe has had a really interesting journey, and this was such a heartwarming story to listen to, originally and then again when I had the pleasure of editing it down. Just like the recording of episode 2, I couldn't really edit it down to any less than just over an hour without ruining the flow of things and the wonderful stories Joe had to tell. If you listen to this, and you've got any comments or feedback, anything you'd like to say to me really, Feel free to drop me an email to alex at That's howdyou.com. That's H O W D Y O U.com. And I'll take a look at any emails that come across and hopefully I can get back to you with some answers. So let's get stuck into our conversation with Joe. Cheers. Hello, Joe. Hello. Hello, thank you for coming on the podcast today to have a chat about yeah, your your life in the in the creative industries. How is uh, how is everything going at um, the moment? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's
0: um it's going well. Busy busy time of life, I think. I, it's hard to sum up everything that happens all at once when you become old, isn't it? So <laughs> <laughs> when you become old you've got kids christmas is just yeah happening. you're in the new it's year it's like having a thousand it's buses everything. turning up at once and you, you don't know which one to get on
1: yeah 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 you didn't really order any of them you didn't, you're not entirely sure where most of them are going but you feel like you should probably have one foot on each of those buses as it pulls you in different That's directions right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Thank you for um, yeah coming on today. I guess uh, first things first, if you could introduce us to who you are and uh, what, it is, what it is you currently
0: do. Uh, okay, so my name is Joe Latham and I am a graphic novelist. Um, I'm never quite sure exactly what title to use for that because I write and draw um, everything myself from scratch. So I am working with a publisher and an editor. So that's the kind of current sort of back and forth with regards to my career, um, and yeah, that's what I consider myself now. So a cartoonist, I guess, if you wanted to distill it down. But because there's a lot of writing involved, it's kind of more than that. But it, I don't want to call myself a writer because that feels grandiose. So I feel like I feel like
1: writers uh, deserved. You can definitely oh. say <laughs> writer as well as illustrator I, d- I don't know it's a bit of a weird one because yeah. um when i was when i was saying about doing this call and i said to a couple of people oh i'm interviewing i'm interviewing a guy called joe he's a comic book artist they were like oh let's have a look and then i showed them uh, some of the stuff that you've done and they went oh so it's not that's not comic though is it that's more graphic novel yeah yeah kind of yeah i see that and i think okay. in people's minds they think of comic as being you know marvel dc that kind of like that's- Flash yeah, that's holes, it. I mean, there's sort of a stuff. stigma
0: to it with that regard, isn't there? Because it's kind of it gets pigeonholed quite easily. Um, but there's also like it's such a broad thing, and with thing with um, publications like the Phoenix for younger readers, there's a lot to it now. You know, like I didn't really discover the breadth of graphic novels um, as I currently know them, and and it's the kind that I currently make as a way to sort of um, explore more complex and intricate stories for a wider range of audiences. I didn't really, didn't really discover that until very late, honestly. Yeah, like I must've been um, mid twenties. Like, I didn't know that stuff really existed. Like, I think I'd read a bit of the Sandman comics when I was a young teen. I was probably about 11 or 12 when I read some of the Sandman comics. But beyond that, I thought it was um, 2000 AD Marvel and DC. And like that stuff's great as well, but. Um, It's a big world
1: It is, it is And I remember Because you're um, You're a few years older than me So you're uh, Six Six years older than me Yeah But when you were I guess you were in your mid-twenties I would have been late teens And that would have been around About the time that Watchmen came out The film Uh, And that was the time that I think there was a big A big sort of surge In interest in graphic novels Mm -hmm. Around about that time When Watchmen came out And there was suddenly, (laughs) Suddenly You could get them in W.H. Smith's And you could get them um, all over the place. And it, maybe that was, like, a bit of a timing sort of thing with the, the more prevalence of graphic novels and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, that
0: film is interesting in particular because it looks like a superhero thing, but it's kind of uh, it, it more than that, isn't it? Like, it treads a lot of social and political ground as well. So I think that's something yes. that I think maybe tripped audiences in a good way, and I don't don't know if it really gets the credit for that.
1: I, I feel like it's a, it's a very under undervalued or not under maybe underappreciated I, I love it i think it's great i really love Watchmen. Yeah. very dark very uh moody very you know strong yeah, <laughs> strong yeah. commentary in there and it's not just all about the kicking ass it's there's some pretty pretty heavy themes yeah in there. absolutely so yeah there's that i think about around about the same time was it sin city can which yeah, yeah. another sort yeah. of Comic book esque the way that the the cinematography was laid out and that black and yeah. white comic book panels, lots of stuff like that. That yeah, was, I mean comics get mined was... for, for,
0: for ideas for films and yeah. TV, especially like even now, like it's still still happening because I guess all of the um, research and design work is pretty much done ahead of any production. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of the storyboarding, I guess, has already been yeah. done for, for them. Yeah, let's um, kind of I guess dial it right the way back to school mm-hmm. look at kind of your journey your journey through school uh when you went through going through high school did you sort of think i want to be in the creative industries or was it something that came to you as a as a career choice uh later um you know, what was you, you sort of thinking as you were going through school? yeah
0: um so i always loved drawing right and i i love writing um The recent convergence of those two disciplines for me is uh, kind of breaking new ground for me mentally. Like for years, I didn't think I deserved to be doing these two things as a job. Um, So when I was in school, I remember uh, even in primary school, I remember uh, writing short stories. And if we were doing like a short story session in, you know, when I'm like seven, seven or eight, I remember I'd be the last one to finish writing because I'd just keep going and my story would get longer and longer. So then when the teacher was reading out all the other kids' stories, they I'd still be writing. And then I'd hand mine in, like right at the end when they finished reading everyone else's and then they'd read mine out. And it gave me that uh, overwhelming sense of pride because I was the last one to, like, it's, it was probably terrible. That's the, the thing, it was probably a really awful story, but I was so proud of it, The just the, the ideas were flowing and uh, similarly withdrawing. Mm. I used to just love sitting and drawing even as a, a little kid I, I, that was just the thing that gave me peace um and then in high school uh, i studied i wanted to give like i'm not an idiot i mean i'm not a total idiot so i wanted to study a a broad array of subjects so i i studied economics and maths um as well as uh, arts i wanted to set myself up to have a career but I didn't think that art would ever be considered a career even though that was the thing I only wanted to do like I just wanted to draw and paint I just wanted to you know use my mind in that way to think of new ideas and to keep painting and keep exploring feelings and emotions and stories and things like that so that was absolutely what I wanted to do in school but there was the other part of my brain I think probably from my dad's influence largely because my mum my was a piano teacher when I was around this age, so like, she loved playing the piano, and she had um, so many friendly people that would come to her to our house, and they'd uh, they just adored my mum. And my dad was away a lot with work, and his work I never really understood. He did business. I'm doing air quotes, but that was how I understood it. It's like okay. he was doing business. He was doing um, management, consultant, financial directing, money based business stuff
1: stuff that a child will never understand those words on their own or together yeah
0: absolutely and even when i got older i was like so do you fire people is that what like well i don't understand what you do do you look at like graphs and tell people that they're fired and he was like well i I have had to fire some people um in the past i don't i still don't understand how it works and like there's more to my dad than that he was also trained as an accountant prior to that so his journey into business is a um a slightly sort of zigzaggy one but um mm-hmm. there was always that influence to try and make sure i had a sensible trajectory for my um potential career and like how to look after myself and earn and i understand that as a as a parent i understand like you want to know that your kids are safe but also uh i think for me there's that greater sense of wanting to know that the world is in like a closed box like there's there's options, there's avenues, and especially now, like the way that um, the internet has changed things over the last 30 years, because I, I remember my dad coming home with a laptop and us uh, connecting to dial up and joining those first chat rooms. And yeah. Like I was on um, fan forums for um, Elliot Smith and um, yeah, just <laughs> bands from the, well, uh, when was that? In the late nineties, yeah, bands in the late nineties. I was on these different forums and things. and. Um, yeah, if you could have seen how big of an influence that would have in opening doors, then I, I don't think I would have had any issue with considering uh, pursuing art in a stronger sense. When you were when you were at school,
1: was the careers advice, and you have the the sort of the careers sessions that can sort of tell you? Did you kind of go to your careers advisor and say I want to be an artist and did they kind of guide you down the route of well there's graphic design there's um graphic communication there's illustration there's pure art did they did they kind of give you any any advice in that regard or were they more that's not a real career uh
0: yeah that second one yeah they were uh, okay. <laughs> yeah they were quite in terms of the direct advice they give you they're very hands-off and I don't think any of them really understood that you could be an artist to make a living so they would suggest i look into doing architect work like maybe consider being a an architect and i did actually yeah i applied for um an architecture course when i was applying for university so that was that was all part of you know it goes into your brain you take grown up seriously when you're um yeah like 14 15 trying to figure out what what your next steps are I I did not, I unfortunately, when I sort of did, I, yeah, kind
1: of uh, at that time, 14, 15, I think there was a lot of pressure to kind of pick, pick sensible career choices, yeah. you know, you must, you've got to pick what you want to do with the rest of your life at GCSE age, yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden you do your GCSEs and you're like, actually, you know what, I didn't want to do any of that, I wasn't, I wasn't really that keen on. Science. Yeah. And I think that's a similar, similar sort of feeling with a lot of people uh, that they kind of got, got quite bad careers advice at school yeah. uh, to do something that was only really quite tenuously linked to what they wanted to do from a tick list of options on a box. Yeah, yeah. Really. And
0: I, I think, um, honestly, I think artist wasn't actually an option on there. Like when they're going through their um, possible suggestions for what kids could grow up to do as careers, I don't think artist was ever on the form. You know, like, I think it was just not an option for them to even put forward to us because they didn't know um, how it would pan out. And ironically, I do think that now picking a a more niche specialty is going to be the way to go, because there's there's so many people out there that have a lot of skills, you know. So if you're able to really make yourself stand out in a, a specific field, then surely that's much more powerful than just, you know, following bad advice from a, a counselor at
1: 15 being more being much more specialist i think is definitely the way to go yeah. um but in the i guess on the flip side of that when you're kind of looking at that sort of age you don't you don't want to specialize too soon you want to leave your options open but kind yeah. of i guess you want to take it more of like a, a pyramid while well, i'm i'm entering into this field and then specialize within the field but never leaving it to giving yourself the opportunity to jump back outwards and then go in a slightly different direction if if you feel that it's not, not right Yeah, here. that's true. Definitely kind of having that focus, something to aim towards and a, a target to aim for. Yeah, towards is, I mean, I think definitely.
0: for me, um, maybe it's more the impact that it has on your mental health and like, because I know the language around mental health has changed a lot since I was that age, but um, just feeling like you don't have any choices is such a, um, it's a crushing feeling you know when you're when like the world should be opening up to you not closing you know as you're reaching yeah. that age so because uh, I, I th- like I guess more skills is better than less skills right but just knowing that those could go in so many different paths is what you want to feel rather than because I, I remember um, basically crying to my brother down the phone when I was graduating uni because I was like what what the flip am I going to do now like I'm going to have to get a job I hate because there's no no uh, design jobs for graduates because I that was sorry I'm sort of jumping a bit but um I was I was was just (laughs) devastated because I was like what am I going to do like I'm not going to be able to get a job in design so I have to get a job that I hate which won't pay me enough to live either with friends my friends are all moving to different cities because they're either going home because they've graduated too or they graduated a year earlier because because of my um my foundation course um yeah and I was just absolutely devastated at the prospect of um getting trapped in a totally different discipline yet again having to deal with i don't know i'm, I'm running out of words to describe it but i just remember that feeling being so overwhelming and feeling uh, unbelievably sad at the prospect's Doing something that I just did not want to do at that point.
1: That must be something that catches up with a lot of people when they when they get to the end of university, because you've the education system is very much structured with you go to school, you do GCSEs, great, you've done those. Now you do your A levels, great. Now you've done those. You go to university, great. Now you've done that. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay, Go on. Sort, sort yourself out now. You're you're 21. Yeah. Um, 21, 22. So you must be able enough to sort yourself out. But you know, as people, still a kid uh, then, aren't you really? And, you, yeah, you've got, you are so lost in this world of suddenly you're dealing with the the people who've got more experience and the people who've done other yeah, things. And yeah, Your academic career has suddenly come to an end and what do you do then? Yeah. Well, you could get a master's. Yeah, yeah, we had
0: one tutor who passively mentioned that if you're getting a 2-1 or a, or a first, you should be considering doing a master's because it will help you, like, jump a step in your career. But he said it in, in front yeah. of a room of maybe a hundred people. There was like a shared lecture across the, the different um, artistic courses. And uh, it was just one statement, like that was it. He didn't, like, no one actually suggested it and said like, this is a good idea. It was like one 10 second statement that this man said once. And that that's, it. then like, what? Well, I don't think anyone did, honestly. I think uh, there might've been, one or two people that stayed on but it, it wasn't a particularly good university very little in the way of incentive to stay on longer than you have to there yeah i guess um if there's no you need that incentive
1: especially as someone who is in, in their early 20s you know you're, you're kind of figuring out what to do with your life and yeah. um, you really need that really need that hook to keep you there so um if we go kind of back a bit from the end of university and look at uh, going going into university. You did a graphic design course where you said yeah. uh, you were going to, you wanted to do animation.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I mentioned already that I had applied to an architecture course as well, um, so that was in Bath, um, and then the animation and the graphic design course were both in uh, Newport, so UWCN. So I did Art Foundation in Cardiff, um, is it called Cardiff Met now? Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah, used yeah. used to be Um UIC. Uh, So they were, yeah. yeah, I think they were twinned with Newport Uni at one point. Um, but Newport Uni had a very bad reputation with the grades that kids were getting. So they, so Cardiff kind of cut ties with them, understandably so, because Cardiff was a much better funded and a nicer university. So yeah, so I did art foundation in, in Cardiff, and that was that was a wonderful year, um, making lots of new friends, drawing and painting. Um, very little in the way of pressure apart from uh towards the end of the final project i remember um there was a graphic design um module and you had to pick which sort of focus you wanted to to um concentrate on and i picked graphic design because i was like right my brother's done this he's gone through graphic design at uni i want to yeah that's that's sensible because he gets to be creative he gets to be artistic and it's a job and it's a career and because no one's going to pay me to draw and paint, so this is what I should do. So I focused on the graphic design module, and um, I think for my final piece, I did something with a newspaper and a painting. Like, I I think I did a, um, it was meant to be a juxtaposition of a um, a headline with a painting and to try and see what different feeling, a contrasting headline to an image could make. It it was a terrible idea and it didn't really work, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this seems like an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, it just, um, it didn't, I mean, I, God, I, I must have been, yeah, I would have been 19 and I just didn't know what I was doing really. I think I was clutching at straws. So the animation and the graphic design course. So animation, if you are unaware, the course is going to be a lot of hand-drawn 2D animation, a lot of CG. The, the way that it was sold was a lot of 2D animation. The One of the ladies that was running the course, um, was well known for making those old charming animated bear adverts um i can't remember her name but she was like i did meet her on their um on the interview and the application she was lovely and the work that she does is is amazing and really sensitively drawn so that was a big pulling point for that course um and i would imagine now that they're doing more cg and Uh, using things like Toon Boom and and things like that. It's a different software to either do 2D or 3D or even faux 3D animation stuff. But I I love drawing, so that was the big pull for me. It was like, I didn't really know that animation was even a career, really. I mean, obviously it is, because everything's a career, but I I just like to draw. And so I applied for that. I got accepted, but I got accepted to the graphic design course as well. In hindsight, I think I got worse vibes from the uh the lecturers that interviewed me on the graphic design course because i remember feeling kind of put aback back at some of the questions that they were asking us and uh, i can't can't really put my finger on what they said but i just remember coming away feeling a little bit less um wanted a little bit less warm about it um which kind of it came out in a story uh in the first year of uni when we went to a went on a trip to um I think it was Paris. So we were drinking with the lecturers in Paris, mm-hmm. at the hotel lobby, and this one lecturer was trying to act cool because he was the young teacher. Um, but he was just saying, "Oh, we were told we could let anyone on, so we just tick the list, tick, 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 and we don't care about whether you got skills." Not, not a good feeling when you're when you're uh, 19 and you're not even sure about what you're doing with your your choices anyway. Um, no, to get that off your tutor. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There were other that's... tutors that were better, though, and that's that's the thing. I think that's part of the, the big sort of life lesson is that uh, when you're studying, um, you don't need every teacher to be amazing. You just need one. Like, you need one person that you either can absorb their passion or like you connect with in a slightly different way, because that's, that's the thing that will pull you through. Um, and for me, there was a, uh, a guy that was really into typography. Um, he was like, he was the one that I didn't get on with at first, but by the end of the course, he was the best one because he was the most consistent with his passion and his lessons were always, um, there was always a point. There was, they were always, they were always grounded. Um, I remember having a really traumatic Christmas at the uh, middle of the first year. Um, so we had like a, I basically, my mum my and dad separated um, or my, my dad left on Christmas day when I just started uni I remember going into uni, having had a terrible Christmas, and I went to the tutor. I was like, look, can I have a chat with you? I haven't done the homework over Christmas because this stuff happens, like, and I've been really struggling to deal with it. And he was really um, stern with me about it. And he was like, well, look, this is really important now. You need to have a real good think about uh, what you're doing with your time. And this isn't the time to slack off. You need to pull your your socks up and get on with this. And I don't know if it was like tough love to be like, look, I understand everyone's got going on. Get on with it, but it did kind of help. Like it, it hurt at the time. I, I was kind of shocked. Cause I was like, surely you should give sympathy in these circumstances. Yeah. yeah. But it did actually kind of help because it meant that I was like, oh, all right. I guess I'll get on with it then. You
1: know. Yeah. There's definitely both sides of the argument there. You want that sympathy and you kind of need that sympathy. And as a as a 19 year old, you are still a, I guess, a vulnerable young person. And the teacher or tutor is a is a person who is responsible for the your well-being and looking after your emotions so they should really give some element of support yeah. to you in that case but on the flip side it is their job as a tutor <laughs> to get the best out of you as as a student
0: i mean he he so. did give me support in a practical sense because i think he gave me an extra week to do the work and it wasn't like the coursework at that point was Um, was a joke. It's like such a minuscule project that once you're earning money for doing creative projects, you realize that um, the actual turnaround time of like idea to sharing something is so different to what it is in uni like when you've got like months to work on an idea and research something like it's just completely different
1: i guess the there's in university they do they kind of allow you that that space and room to breathe and then there's the difference between academia and commercial side of things where you quite often well, i've quite often found if i've been working with a, a designer from who's fresh out of uni they're so reluctant to show you anything Um, until it's absolutely perfect but then you speak to someone who's been doing it for 10 years and they're like here's my idea here's a rough draft take a look what do you think yeah Uh, and they're very like one day turnaround of like you know here's the thing tell me what you think see if you're happy with this and then we can work from there but yeah the sort of the fresh out of uni mindset is more it must be absolutely perfect and when it's absolutely perfect then i will present it to you
0: yeah yeah absolutely so much more pressure to Try and do it that that way though because nothing's perfect and we're so flawed as humans that you just hope that every time you create something you're learning from either past projects past successes and past failures like that's the the thing you want to be able to grow on rather than uh, get something perfect like done is much more valuable than perfect
1: yeah what is it uh perfection is the enemy of good yeah <laughs> That, that, that extra sort of five percent that'll make something perfect could take you three times the amount of time it took
0: you to get it to 95 percent yeah, of yeah. Um, and if you're talking about artwork as well that extra five percent might make it worse you know like when do you draw the line and of course um
1: you need to have that knowledge self-awareness of when do I stop yeah. when is it when is it done not when is it perfect but when is it finished yeah. and when is it done that's it yeah it's an interesting kind of thought process there between university thinking and like going into the, going into the, the, the real world, I guess you could call it. So yeah. air quotes then again. Yeah. Yeah. So if we kind of look at, then you've gone, you've gone through university, you've, um, graduated, obviously we touched on a little bit earlier. You, you weren't happy about leaving. You were you know, quite <laughs> upset, uh, about leaving. Then what, what was like, what was next? What did you do straight out of straight out of
0: university? Uh, I, I played drums. <laughs> so the yeah yeah uh, so i was in in a band with my brother from the age of um i guess 15 or 16 whenever i started learning the drums i was um instantly in a band with my brother and um, a couple of other school friends as well so we did that through uni and then when when i graduated only real plan was to make more music so uh, okay. figure out how to do that in any way possible me and my brother wrote lots of songs together in that time Um, and then we worked with our singer and our bassist to sort of hone them and that was maybe a six-month period where we were really trying to um, make something that we were proud of and we booked time in a studio and uh, we recorded an EP and we went on a little tour of uh, Scotland for some reason. I think that was the only place where we could find enough consecutive venues to have us over the course of like six days um okay <laughs> yeah so it's, it's tenuous but it was also it was it was pretty fun but hard work um whilst doing that I was trying to figure out how to make any money at all so uh, I signed on for the doll I, so I was in a town called Chepstow that was my my hometown and there's not okay. not there might be a handful more but not a huge amount of work exists in Chepstow there's a tiny little high street with um i don't know like 10 shops in it Um there's a handful of pubs. Um, probably more pubs than shops actually. Um Okay. But I I, (laughs) sounds like a lot of high streets at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's I mean, yeah, we're lucky to have pubs right now because I think they're struggling as well. Yeah, they are. Um yeah, so weren't huge amount of choices for for work. So I signed on for Job Seekers Allowance and um you know, I go to my weekly meetings and say Uh, I'm talking to university teachers about design opportunities, and I'm talking to, uh, you know, I was contacting different design agencies and asking if they need any freelance work, but um, had no portfolio, like had the stuff I'd done in in uni, but it was, um, like, the stuff you do in uni is so weird when you're looking at it through the lens of outside of uni, you know, like, it's so rare that it's um, actually a career appropriate thing to land you work that you want to do. And you don't really know that when you're creating it. But like, there's such a, a big difference between that. So yeah, I didn't get any freelance design work. So I started signing up for, I guess, a bit like Fiverr. But, you know, going back many, many years, there were other sites like Elance. And I don't know if that still exists.
1: I think Elance and Upwork merged into yeah. one, one site in the end. Okay. Um...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I signed up for a couple of months on that. um, Managed to get, uh, because I I used to paint as well. I used to do these big canvas paintings. Um, Okay. So that was my portfolio for illustration work on there. I I uploaded, I think, like 10 different paintings that I had done. I managed to get um, one or two little illustration gigs, but they were so poorly paid that they only just covered the cost of the subscription. And the people wow. yeah it was it was terrible the people that were commissioning me they were like oh yeah we'll take a chance on you we'll give you a shot on this i think you understand what we're looking for and they were looking for these really crappy uh, basically clip art stickmen uh doodles yeah which like it's fine oh, there it's... is there's like, there's a place for that but when i where i was in my um career like in my mum's house trying to play drums and earning i, I think i made like 25 pounds for this, for this day's work of uh, ink illustrations, yeah, and like honestly, that kind of set a, uh, a foundation for me for what I thought illustration work or my illustration work was worth. Um,
1: oh, okay, and yeah, because if that that's what you've been paid for it, that is therefore what you think it is worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and thinking of your own worth as an hourly value, um, I also think is quite detrimental because. If you spent, you know, 30 years perfecting something and you can do like brain surgery in 30 minutes, should you be paid more or less than someone that has only just started and it's going to take them four hours? You know, like you can be absolutely amazing at something and it takes you no time. But um, yeah, again, I'm sort of digressing somewhat. Um, So good.
1: This, this whole podcast is about, you know, journeys and connections. So yeah, well, I feel like having a bit of a digressive seg- segments, uh, it's funny. Yeah,
0: well, my so my, my wife has, um, she got diagnosed with ADHD recently. And the more she's okay. been learning about it, the more I think, oh, yeah, that sounds really familiar. And then I notice it in, um, in my best friends, in everyone that I've ever been close to over the years. It's like, oh, shit, yeah. So I, cause I think my brain is... Um, very scatty when it comes to this. And like when I do conventions, I end up talking to people and we go off topic. And I'm talking to someone at my table for like 10, 50 minutes about something completely unrelated to the reason I'm there. And I'm there to try and sell books and make, make a living, you know, but chatting to people about like dogs and um, I don't know, swimming in lakes or something.
1: But <laughs> I, uh, I went to a, an event before. It was like a networking event for a charity, and um, I, I kind of like I didn't really want to be there. I wasn't really in the mood for it. But they were the charity was one of my clients, so I thought, thought, yeah, I'll go, on. I'll go along, I'll go along. And I went down, and the buffet there was amazing, <laughs> like really, really good. And I was chatting everyone I spoke to, bearing in mind I was supposed to be there to so try and get some work, you know, yeah, like web yeah. development work. Every single person I spoke to, my opening line was, "Have you tried the quiche?" It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's what you need, man. Always talk about the quiche. And then there was a guy there who came up to me afterwards. I was like, "Are you trying to uh, like what? What are you doing?" And I was like, oh, "What are you all about?" You, like the quiche. The quiche is amazing. He went, "Aren't you supposed to be here trying to get work?" Yeah, I am. You know, people are going to leave here thinking of you as the quiche. Guy. <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, that. I honestly... remember that. <laughs> I, I'm okay yeah. with being the quiche man. <laughs> and that's I mean, Networking is such a weird thing, isn't it? It is. It's hard work. And, um, yeah, I feel, but on the flip side of that, I feel like it's the the kind of the, the, the people who don't approach you and thrust their business card in your face and go, what do you want? Buy my stuff, yeah. you know, or the, the firm handshake. It's the people that I always remember, the people who are slightly odd yeah. and are slightly um out there and are the ones who would maybe because if someone wanted to talk to me about quiche for an hour yeah. I would be in my element yeah, yeah. I would love that I mean arc. that's it you want
0: the real connections because like you can't work exactly. with someone that's going to be pushy and stonewall you when uh, I don't know if you ask something exactly. that they don't want to hear like you want someone that you can actually have a back and forth with and, and chat to and yeah
1: yeah, sorry, where did we get to? Oh, we were talking about um, um after
0: uni being in the
1: band, after you, the drums, you were playing the drums, <laughs> yeah, so you were in yeah, Central, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So, you signed up to Elance. yeah,
0: that's right. So, that, that was bad. And then, um, being in the band, uh, like we saw we played loads of gigs within a certain vicinity of South Wales. Um, for some reason, found it impossible to get a gig in Bristol, even though it was so close. But, I think there was a bit of a mental block for venues in Bristol with anyone from Wales, because I think they probably had experience of people claiming that they could get a crowd into a small show in Bristol and not have anyone turn up. I think that was the impression we got anyway. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, just through gigs in Barfly and uh, Buffalo and, and places like that in Cardiff, we met a lot of bands um, and I ended up doing a lot of MySpace page designs. So I started with my band and a, a band that we... Uh, played a, a gig with and then another band that we played a gig with and a friend's band and then that led to doing um, album artwork for bands and t-shirt artwork just like the
1: the myspace page design that was
0: that was like the very first
1: it's kind of what got a lot of people into web design i think it? so because you were learning yeah. um it was all done through css yeah. Um, you could, you MySpace allowed you to put your own CSS onto the page. For anybody who doesn't know, CSS is a uh, programming language that will allow you to style up elements of a web page. And yeah, MySpace was a social
0: network that uh, existed about twenty years ago. <laughs> That's right. I think it still exists, but I, I think it's a wasteland. I don't, I don't think it even remotely resembles what it used to be. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I think it was, it was bought by um, some pop star about 10 years ago or something like that and uh, so myspace still exists let's see who owns myspace
1: oh yeah it's more of a music playing thing now and well
0: i've gone on there and none of the images work no which is that's a good sign isn't it yeah that was my like myspace was my income for quite a long time like that was i used to charge like, when i started it was 20 uh it was 40 quid a myspace page and i could do um I could do one in about half a day design and code uh, as i got more i charged a bit more so i could do them for about 80 quid a page and then i think i uh, reached about 100 pounds a page at one point and i get to do about two or three a day so i was doing a lot of these pages and just doing the pages was your own advertisement because i'd have a link to my own myspace page on every page that i did um of course yeah yeah, yeah so it w- it was amazing and i remember the day that they announced they were turning that all off the or the custom CSS and layout stuff. It was devastating for me, yeah, even though at, at, by that point I'd actually started doing websites for people. So I didn't really, didn't really feel it in such a way. Cause I was charging more for websites because they were, you know, a bigger project. Really. Yeah. But that was, uh, that was a fun experience. There's a,
1: there's sort of like, especially when they announce that they're closing down, it's almost like a legacy thing yeah. there, because you're, uh, you know, the, you're, almost like your portfolio of work. Yeah, yeah, just goes. On MySpace. Yeah. And then just like, oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah,
0: I mean, I still have um, have the flat designs. I've kept images of everything that I did back then. You know, being a nerd, I think you often tend to keep backups. I probably have the original uh, Photoshop documents as well. It's probably stored in a hard drive that's in an attic. Somewhere. Yeah, well, it's in a box behind <laughs> me. I've got years and years of hard... Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, once, once you've lost stuff once you've lost work i think you get a bit scared of of it ever happening again so i have dropbox now but i do annual backups onto an external hard drive and i've done that for years like once a year at least someone will get in touch and ask me for a file that i haven't touched for probably four or five years like i had to do some layout work for a composer recently um because he has run out like he's reprinting two of his albums that i did the artwork for and really nice chap but i did the artwork maybe seven or eight years ago (laughs) <laughs> something like that yeah so luckily I had I, I think I had to rebuild one part of it
1: so yeah we've got sorry I'm like we're jumping around a bit um so we did uh the MySpace pages uh you were earning money for doing the MySpace pages but you were meeting people through uh the drumming yeah as well you're making uh, lots of connections through through drumming
0: yeah. yeah yeah that's right we thought it was going quite well at the time but i think that the little tour of scotland killed the band really because uh, it was it was hard work my brother being a little bit older than us i think he was just coming to a point in his life where he's like i kind of don't want to spend every penny i have on driving to scotland and playing music to a room with bar staff um <laughs> yeah it was it, it was a really diff like being in a band is hard work and very very thankless unless you're i don't know you find your reason to love something right that's the thing that keeps you going and like being in a band means that there's other things that are taking away from it so there's other relationships where you're um relying on your friends like the other people in the band or you're relying on people on your friends to actually come to the gigs and if you've been playing gigs for a number of years then it gets harder to convince people to come out and you can be really proud of your music you can work really really hard at it but there's a lot that's stacked up against you and again now or this time later uh, we'd probably do it completely differently if i was in that position now i think we'd release music on spotify and on stream platforms and whatnot and just hardly ever gig you know we would probably practice a lot less um but be like right should we book a month to work on an album or i think that's how we'd approach it now because it's just the landscape changes you know you can't always adapt as it's happening you almost have to take a step back to see see what you could have done differently but yeah so i was meeting people in bands we played a gig with the killers like there are a few bands back then that um they were kind of well known at the time but i don't think anyone really remembers them like we played with the subways I remember this. Up yeah, 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 yeah. So we had some cool gigs, Cardiff, and that was that was really fun. Those, those ones never led to any work, but it was the smaller ones and the sort of the normal people um, bands that did lead to other bits of work and like the MySpace pages, uh, led to more corporate work, because most of those people either had normal jobs as well, or they have gone on to have normal jobs. And a lot of them remembered me for years to come, they remembered me and would bring me bits of design and development work. And that kind of segued my career into um, into coding. So I was coding and designing websites. Sometimes very corporate, sometimes not. Did some stuff for a few different record labels. I got put in touch with a a celebrity management company in London that uh, they were called they called Iviva. Yeah, they were. I, I, they don't exist now. They now, it's now James Grant Management. So I mean, so the the people I worked with there were lovely, like really, really lovely. Not a bad word to say about them. And I was doing some stuff for um, slightly less, lesser big celebrities. Is that, that's not a very good sentence, is it? At the time it was smaller, smaller, minor, minor, but they're still famous. It was like Philip Schofield, Vernon Kaye, Holly Willoughby. um, I'd say they were pretty
1: well-known names. Well, Yeah. Philip Schofield and Hollywood. But Willoughby they're UK famous,
0: times. aren't they? It's not, it's yeah. not like Leonardo yeah, yeah. DiCaprio and, and whatnot. But I so I was doing oh Ant and Deck, yeah, I did some little web adverts for them and uh Twitter page designs where you, you're doing the header graphic and the icon and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's like that's big that's big stuff. I would I would be <laughs> I'd be
1: shouting about that if I if I did stuff for Ant and Deck. Yeah uh, sure. But with the, with the talent management stuff, how did that come about? Did you, you said that someone put you in touch with the the management agency, but was it a case of you were out at a gig, you got chatting to someone and he said, oh, I do some work with this talent management agency. They need someone to do some design work. Or was it more of a, like you were just putting, putting feelers out there, putting emails out there to different people and it, it sort of cropped up? through that sort of connection? What was the sort of the steps to get put in touch with that agency?
0: The further I get away from the situation, the more I realize that uh, these things happen behind the scenes. So it's like, um, what's the term, like secret whispers or something, where you don't really know where the connections come from. But you can, oh, you okay. can possibly trace it back really hard. So I think there's a chap at the management agency who I think knew a chap that worked, at a, or worked with a record label that I did some work with. So, I, I used to do a lot of work with a record label called Small Town Records. Um, they were my first consistent client when I was, you know, back in the band days, post uni, I was doing uh, adverts for them for Kerrang and Rock Sound and stuff. And I, it would be like I'd be their odd job design person. And uh, it's a chap called Pete, it's his record label. And he worked with a chap called Ben. And Pete is based, I think, up in Leeds. And Ben is based in London. I think Ben is the one that had the um, the, the other connections. So I think the connection to Iviva to James Grant Management, I think, came from Ben. Yes, yeah, so that was a really really tenuous link that was. Um, and I did some work with uh, a chap that used to God, he which record label was here. He used to do stuff for David Bowie. He was like involved in like art directing and a David Bowie album launch campaign, but uh, through him, I was doing stuff for Jiddy Cooper and uh, some other ITV things as well. And I've done, uh, I designed some golf balls for Vernon Kay once for a, a charity thing that he was doing. That was a weird, a weird little thing. I've got three of them up in my bedroom for some reason, just got his name on it. You would, you would, you would keep hold of them <laughs> yeah. you? Uh,
1: if you'd done golf balls for Vernon yeah, Kay. Yeah.
0: Super weird. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. I mean, I got paid really badly for all that stuff, like for the for the celebrity management stuff. I got paid awfully, um, but it's because like it was it, like again, it's not their fault. It was my fault for not thinking I was worth anything. So I was charging, I think twenty to twenty five pounds an hour, which I thought was great then. Like I thought I thought that was great, but I'd only get like a, a few hours work each month from them. So I maybe invoiced them for a hundred pounds. A pop, and I'm doing work with Davina McCall and, and stuff, you know, and it, and like, it, it, like it's not her fault. It's not, it's not the management company's fault. They're paying me what I have asked them to. But, um, yeah, I think the yes, yeah, there's process, a lot of
1: uh, you see a lot of it in the freelance <clears throat> freelance world where people are sort of saying things like, "How do I double my day rate? How do I, how do I increase my day rate?" And uh, a lot of people that respond to yeah. just sort of say, "Just increase it." Just, just you know if, if you're doing work with someone yeah and you think actually this is probably worth a bit more than that have a chat with them and just say can i increase my my rate by a percentage and as long as you explain the reasoning behind yeah. it and the rationale where you sort of say i've been doing this work for quite a while now i feel like it's probably worth a little bit more than we've been you know agreed upon and delve into the reasons give a proper rationale and don't just go Hi, oh, yeah, you know that £40 uh, you paid me for this yesterday? Well, today it's going to be 100
0: I I did have to do that once. I remember um, having a really horrible conversation with someone. So again, another record label person running a, a really small record label, and he asked me to design and build a big cartel page for him. And I was like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. I hadn't built one before, but I'd done so many MySpace and like website things at that point. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And I think I quoted okay. 50 quid, something like that. And then I, I logged in and saw all of the different options for where you can put custom code and the different tags that you need to carefully use. And I, I went back to him after a day and I was like, it needs to be like 150 quids. Like, and, and again, it's like, it's still not not very much money, honestly, for a designer development. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, that's me. That's how my, my career has sort of gone on. And it sort of, it ground me down over the years But uh, this guy got really defensive with me and he got really angry that I had asked him if I could charge more. And he was like, you know, why the hell are you telling me that it's going to be like three times as much? Like, how can you justify that? And I had to just calmly say, like, I've looked at the back end of Big Cartel now and I have a better understanding of what it's going to take to do the job. Um, So that is what it is. And he was fine, but it's like it's so that conversation is difficult. And I think that then puts a wall up because then you feel defensive and you also, that chips away at your own value as well. Because if you're not even charging very much in the first place and yeah. you get asked to justify it, then it, it really does Oh yeah, for sure, if you, if, uh, yeah. if you feel like, you know, you need to put the price up because you're
1: being underpaid for it. And then someone asks you to spend more of your time justifying why you need to be paid more for the time. And then you just think, well, is it, yeah. is it even worth it? Is it really that? worth the hassle if i've got to justify myself to someone who obviously yeah, doesn't it. value me and doesn't really understand what i'm doing for them
0: and there, there for me there's always been that um split in my brain where there's a bit of me that doesn't value myself as well so i'm like yeah of course you're right for questioning this and then there's the other bit of me that's like i guess defensive and thinking no I
1: am <laughs> why do you think more. that is why do you think you question your yourself self-worth uh in any way is it is is there anything that you think has happened or do you feel like it roots quite firmly back to the you know the elancing gigs that you're doing to get started
0: this it's a kind of worms this one because i think it's all the way back through childhood and through life honestly i think um through my parents like my i got lovely parents um love them but like i say my mum being a piano teacher that's the sort of the warmth and like yeah you can paint like my mum bought me canvases and paints when i was a teenager and she bought me sketchbooks and like we go to the art shop and she'd be like oh you want a a pen or a paintbrush here you go or we go to the library or we go to the bookshop and she'd buy me books like i'd say Mum, this one looks interesting and she'd just get it for me and my dad um being just i guess the opposite end of the spectrum um and my dad's lovely as well but his sort of history has been much more business focused and mum would always talk about um, the sort of difference in their role being like he's the financial provider and she's the carer that was the sort of the way that I think she compartmentalised it but I think that had a definite impact on my my brain and my ability or inability to unpack these things because I think on the one hand you're being told yeah you can do anything and then on the other hand you're also clearly shown that no you can't do anything you have to you know follow this pathway you have to do things in a certain way um yeah i don't know I, th- I think uh brains are complicated aren't they
1: kind of going on on from there then you've done the the freelance thing you're uh making a living uh doing design doing development building websites building web pages doing design work how do you then think i'm gonna make a make a graphic novel was it something that you've been doing alongside all of the the sort of the uh, you know the bands and the corporate design and development work or was there a moment when you thought i just want to do this i don't i want to do this now Um, Uh, branch off
0: yeah it's a good question i guess it's a a bit of everything right so i mentioned already that i didn't really discover comics in a non-marvel 2008 E-Way until quite late. So we had, I lived in a shared house in Cardiff and my, one of my housemates was, uh, he's my best pal and he's an animator named Luke Hyde. He's a wonderful, wonderful human, um, (laughs) love him to bits. And he got made redundant when we were living together. So the animation company that he worked at went under and it's roughly around the same time that um, I think Myspace was changing its rules. So it was like pre-sale of of the platform but it was when they were like locking down the css customization stuff and uh working with bands can be really really hard sometimes like sometimes it's amazing like bands can be the nicest clients they can be the most creative and understanding but then sometimes you get bands where um they've got like individually the members might have stronger opinions than any other band that you work with so you send one thing that one person loves and the others hate that was becoming quite a mental challenge it's like doing things for low budget when you're having that kind of pushback yes I, creatively i wanted to do something on my own and i would always draw anyway and for a while the stuff for the bands the t-shirts and the album covers and things that was scratching that itch but it sort of it kind of stopped being mine because i'd be asked to do things in other people's style so okay. I wanted to do something that was just mine. Mm. Um, and when Luke got made redundant, uh, we were living in the same house. He is an absolutely amazing illustrator. So I was like, why don't you draw something that I've written? Like, why don't we work together on a comic book? That started, like I wrote a story. I shared it with him. He started to draw it. He did an amazing job. But then he got he got a job as well, after maybe a month or two, um, he got a new job. And that meant that him working on that book stopped for nearly a year and i still wanted to do it i was like well i've started this now like i i've kind of i've opened the i've opened pandora's box i want to do this so i made a short comic um called the fox and i took it to thought bubble which is a convention up uh, it was up in leeds then and i just took it up um with my friend that introduced me to comics a, a chap named dan um such a such a weird set of like circumstances but he was in between houses where um the tenancy on one place ran out ran out and he had a week where he was essentially homeless before the next one started so he came and stayed on our sofa for a week but he had to bring all the stuff from his house with him because he didn't have anywhere else to put it so he brought all of his comics and he was showing me all of these really cool comics um like blankets i think blankets was like one that he really pushed on me which is just an amazing autobiographic comic graphic novel about growing up and love and uh yeah it's nice. it's wonderful but that, that really changed things for me it's reading that working with this comic with luke and then it all stopping and i'm like i have to do this and i went to thought bubble with dan and i took a copy of the fox and i showed it to a couple of people because i'd go up to their tables and i'd be buying comics and talking to them and there was a chap called duncan Figredo who uh, draws the hellboy comics yeah, really lovely guy. I was at the back of his queue and his wife came up to me and said, can you just, anyone who joins the queue after you, can you tell them that Duncan's taking a lunch break after you? So there's no point queuing up. So I had to just, yeah, I had to like, fend away like, I don't know, five people just to be like, yeah, he's not not taking any more after me. And then, but as a result, he had such a lovely chat with me and he was asking me who I am and what I do. And I was like, well, I, I'm an artist, but, like, I guess I make websites, but he was oh, do you have any of your work with you? I was like, well, y- yeah. And thinking like this um, acclaimed, successful, <laughs> kind comic book artist wants to see my work. I'm just a, a guy on the other side of his table and he wants to, he's asking about me. That just, it changed everything, you know, cause then I went home and started working on it properly. So the first comic I did, I think was eight pages long. And then I went home and I turned it into a 34 page comic. And then I shared that with a few people. And I think someone passively said, oh, it'd be really cool if you did a series of these. And I thought, oh, yeah, it would." Yeah. So then I did three of them where it's three stories. It's one story overlapping through three comics. Yeah, that was my first set of of comics. Then I took that to conventions where I have the table. Like I'm sitting behind the table and selling comics. And again, the first couple of years, I went with my friend Luke, who he did finish that comic book. We did it. We did finish the one that I wrote and he illustrated and still very proud of that. But that was the the real start point of everything was those two things, was the Fox, the Wolf and the Woodsman is my, that was what my series became and the book that me and Luke did, which is called Losing Sleep. Um, and I think I learned a lot through the process of all that. I don't think they're necessarily perfect by any means, but I, I'm still proud of uh, what they did for me um, because, it's almost like ripping a band aid off with that sort of stuff. And as soon as I was behind the table at these conventions and talking to people, um, that's when everything really started to change because I was still doing the design work and the development work. And that was my focus because it was how I'd pay bills. You know, I, I knew how to quote for a website, even if I wasn't charging enough, it was enough to cover my, my bills and the shared houses and whatnot. Um, but then one year, um, At the conventions, Luke wasn't able to make it, so we were we booked to share a table together. And then the week before, he wasn't able to make it. And again, that was like the biggest push for me. Like that was like all of a sudden, I'm up in this place where I don't know anyone, but I was seeing people that I met the year before, and it was absolutely mind blowing. Like the experience was so different because I was able to have more concentrated, purposeful conversations with the people. on the other side of the table about my work, about their work, about comics. and
1: Yeah. It just sounds, sounds like, yeah, kind of knowing how to get into that sort of thing. And it, it's never going to be a straightforward path to get into that sort of work. You know, the, the world there, you've got yeah. to be kind of thrust into it because it's, I guess it's quite unknown and uncertain. So you do need something or someone to really give you that push in the yeah. right direction. Uh, I guess, you know, that's, that's kind of how you get, get into, um, into comics Uh, so your up and coming novel you've got um is it haru that's right yeah haru yes so haru is coming up and when i was speaking to you earlier you said about uh an editor found you on etsy so was it a case of uh some of the stuff that you've already talked about you know that was up on your etsy page and then an editor found it and sort of said can you make us something for us or was haru an idea you already had that you
0: pitched to them uh, it was something that I pitched and uh, I mean, I tried to keep the story concise because I know I've been talking your ear off for a, a while, but um, the the way that it came to be is quite another unusual set of circumstances. After the initial conventions and stuff with Luke were going on, I came up with another idea for a story and I took it to, um, I actually had an agent back then for the Fox and the Wolf and the Woodsman book and uh, things didn't go well. With that agent, which is another okay. like really important life lesson for me, I think because like you like once you achieve something, you think that's it, but the reality is that it's not. Like you need to have your own reason to keep doing these things. Like the goal isn't ever like the result that you think it's going to be. You know, you mm-hmm. need to have the drive in there for your own purposes. But anyway, after um, the conventions, like I, I used to get so. Um, overwhelmed by the good feelings at the conventions, that afterwards, I'd have a crash, like a a real big emotional crash for about a week or so. I can imagine, yeah. Um, And it would be in that sort of pit where I'd force myself to do something um, surprising. Like I'd either work on a new idea or start approaching um, potential people to work with. And I approached a bunch of agents and I got offered representation by two different agents. I picked one and it didn't go to plan. Uh, And it took maybe a year or so out of my career where I was like working with, like I thought I was working with her, but it was always a closed door on the other side. So she would always say like, no, it's not ready yet. No, Um, there was nothing, like I'd never get any feedback. It was just no. And I took her Haru and she said that uh, she'd like to take it out as a children's picture book. So I went away. I worked to develop it into a children's picture book. I took it back, and uh, she put me in touch with a publisher, um, and they said they'd like to see it as a graphic novel. And I was like, Ah, it was meant to be a graphic novel. Here's what it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. And they said, uh, they said, great, we want it. um Let me just get it signed off. And then uh, six months later, they rejected it. Um, oh. With no feedback, they just said we won't be picking this up at this time. And then my agent. And her doors were increasingly closed by this point and again like nothing against my agent at that time like mm. she's really really nice really kind she just wasn't able to give me the support that i needed to be able to do the things i wanted so i thought well uh stuff this right okay. <laughs> flip, flip the table right i'll make yeah. the comic that um like ignore that publisher that said they wanted it and didn't ignore the agent i'm just gonna like this is my comic and i spent a couple of months making the first chapter took that to a convention, and it was even more incredible than anything else I had done previously. Like, just the interest was um, just so much nicer. And like, I'd come back feeling like a celebrity, having been there selling my my work to these people. Then um, I took that to my agent, and uh, she didn't have much interest in it, really. So I thought, well, oh. stuff it, I'll do the second chapter. And I did a Kickstarter, and that was really successful. Um I had something like 380 backers amazing Um, yeah went went really well and uh, that was the second chapter took that out to the conventions and then um, I think it was a little bit after that I thought you know what I'm just gonna part ways with my agent at the time Um, there I mean there are a few cosmic things that happened around the same time so uh, my mum passed away the pandemic happened and my son was born in the space of six months all this stuff happened And that's a a lot to kind of process
1: all uh, that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And I
0: was still making websites. And like by this point in my website career, I had teamed up with a um, another designer. So we were like we were running this partnership and his design works excellent. But it meant that I got to do no design work. I was pretty much just code. And yeah, like my code was learned from looking at MySpace source code, you know, like, I'm not a, I'm not a particularly good developer, I think I'm relatively intelligent in that I can figure these things out. But I just I don't know how these things are done properly. Yeah, so my, my son was born and couldn't see any family. And I sort of hole up in the spare room on this crappy little laptop. And I try and code until like three in the morning trying to hit this deadline. And it just made me unbelievably sad. So I thought, right, that's it taking a bit of time off from this, I had a chat with my business partner and helped him uh, find a few other developers to team up with. And I parted ways with my agent, and I reached out to a couple of other agents that I had talked to previously to see if they'd be interested. And working with me, and one of them put me in touch with someone else that she knows who was just starting out agenting, who is my current agent, and she is amazing. She's absolutely amazing. I told her what I was hoping for was like constructive feedback on pitches. I showed her some stuff that I've been working on, and before I had even signed with her, she gave me far more time than my previous agent had. Right. So there okay. was like instantly that um, like a connection of like we're looking for the same kind of thing, you know, even if what I was offering wasn't there at that point, we were still sort of pushing in the same direction. So we worked on a pitch together over the course of six to nine months. And it was the Haru, the self-published stuff that I'd already done, but it was just all the extra stuff in the document. So it's like the rest of the story and how that would play out. And we took that out to publishers and we got some interest and got offered a couple of deals. I think we got offered two, two really firm deals and one tentative one. Um, and we, a uh, verbally accepted one but then things happened in that publisher that meant that it all just went up in in the air like all of our contacts there suddenly lost their jobs overnight um i, I think it was like a restructuring thing but it suddenly meant i was back to square one thinking like what do i do yeah. like, this is unbelievable this was like the, meant to be the turning point in my career and i've done everything to get to this point and uh, self-publishing stuff costs money, you know? So yeah, like, I don't yeah, want to be printing, storing these things constantly. And each run you do when you're self-publishing, there's a chance that each run is slightly different on slightly different paper or slightly different quality. So it's just not easy to always be on top of that side of things. So it's like, it's the next step is like being published. And yeah. then I thought I was there and it just went to, to pot overnight. Days later, I think it was about three days later, my agent messaged me and said, oh, I've had this interesting email from an editor at this other publisher saying that they've seen your work on Etsy. I told them that we've verbally accepted another offer, but like, can we see what, what happens? It's, it's funny because I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about that kind of thing. Um, okay. Because it's, it's, it is it's tricky because it's like there's so many... Um, relationships involved. And the person that found me on Etsy doesn't even work at the publisher any anymore. She she went on to a different job. But like, that's what I mean, there's so much serendipity in in the world when it comes to create, I mean, I guess all work, but like specifically creative work, people move around jobs. And Mm -hmm. it's quite random with what things are going to be a success and what things aren't. Yeah, so we saw we had to um, start talking to this other publisher and it, it went really well. The offer they put on the table was um, much better in okay. general. Like it was like in terms of um, the rights that I keep, it was because it's they're a, they're a publisher that's like specifically what they do rather than trying to do like multimedia rights and things. So it was uh, just a publisher and they're great. They're called uh, Andrews McMeal and if you are unaware, they are the publisher of Calvin and Hobbes and uh, Gary Larson's Farside Comics. Um, oh, nice. Okay. And they are an independent publisher, but they've been around, I think, since the 70s. So they've oh, got, okay. yeah, they've got a really firm history uh, and every interaction I've had with people that work there has been wonderful. My editor's amazing. amazing. Um, and it's just been an absolute delight. So that's been me for the past year. Has been working on Haru, and I'm working on the second book right now. So I'm halfway through inking it. I finished the first book, and the first book is out in April in the UK, uh, and that's paperback. It's out in March in the US hardback, and then April paperback. I think that's how they they're running it. Um, uh, is there is there a link to pre-order
1: it at the moment or anything like that? I can put it in the episode. Description. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it should be on any bookshop. So Mm -hmm. bookshop.org, I think is the, that's the ethical one. Uh, It is up on Amazon and it's being distributed by Simon & Schuster. So there is a listing for it on Simon & Schuster, which has links to other shops as well. And I I think I'm going to be doing a book launch in Bristol actually in April, on April 11th in my local bookstore, which is called the Small City Bookshop. I'm going to be doing a little little launch event. I don't know how uh, popular launch events are, but I feel like it'd be such a shame to not actually celebrate the launch of my first properly released book. Like I yeah, really, sure. I, I want to be proud of it, you know, and I want to be able to share that with some friends. So. Yeah. Amazing. Um, oh, it sounds like it's been such a, such a
1: journey and such a story that's led you up to this point that of course you're going to want to celebrate it and yeah, what better to do that with a book launch. One final question. Uh, and that is, if you could go back and do everything all over again, uh, you know, start back from 17, 18, whatever, uh, leaving school, is there anything you'd change about the journey you've been on, or would you like to end up anywhere else? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to end up anywhere else because it seems like you've done everything possible to get to this point <laughs> right now. <laughs> but is there anything you would have done differently um, throughout uh, the course of your journey?
0: Yeah, I mean, I. I I've thought about this on and off over the years, honestly, like there were points when I thought, why did I study graphic design? I wish I'd been making comics at that point. Even if I'd studied animation, maybe I would have done it sooner. Um, But I think there is value to having a zigzaggy journey, like the different things that you learn along the way that you probably wouldn't have learned any other way. And um, having done so much graphic design and development I mean maybe not so much the development I think the development is like a it's a cheeky little skill that you can use to um, almost cheat your own life you know like yeah. I can make my own website that's that's free that could cost hundreds um, but the design work and all of that practice I think is really useful with how I um, how I put things together now so when I'm laying my front covers out when I'm laying out pages, um, just having that innate sense of space, and because I, I feel it when I'm looking at uh, other people's comics at conventions, and like I don't want to be judgmental of other people's work in a negative way, but like there's a inherent sense of like if something's too close to the edge, or if the font looks wrong, or if it's too close to the edge of a speech bubble, those things they give me like an internal like wince. Where okay. like that's the thing that I hope to avoid with my work. That um, I think you can only get through years of practice of the weird skills, you know. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if I'd really do anything different. Maybe like I think validating writing at a younger age would have been really useful because I nearly like halfway through the the graphic design course, I nearly quit and applied to do a English creative writing course instead. Uh, but thought you know I've come this far, I might as well finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think as soon as I had graduated, starting writing then would have been a really beneficial thing. And and beyond that, I'm not I'm not really sure. Maybe taking less crap from tricky customers. Um and yeah. I don't mean being rude, like being rude never benefits anyone. Just like knowing that um if my skills and my work has value, knowing how to put that forward, because there's no there's no point being abrasive. Like if someone doesn't value you, they're never gonna value you. But you need to find the ones that do. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You've got to you've got to find the people who will value you. And if if you get, I guess it's recognizing those red flags almost the yeah. the, the indicators that things aren't going to go well and it's not going to be a good project and it's it's going to be hard work. I think yeah, yeah that what sort of thing that only comes with time as well. It's taken me years to kind of recognize recognize. Yeah, and e- even then,
0: there's always curveballs.
1: Yeah, yeah, Just yeah.
0: You can't prepare for.
1: Um, for sure there was yeah i've worked on some projects where everything's been going fine you get the first payment in and then all of a sudden you're three months down you're waiting on three months worth of payments and then it, yeah. <laughs> it turns out she was a con artist yeah uh, yeah now been to prison over the whole thing oh con man <laughs> uh, but yeah that was uh yeah that was that was devastating but anyway anyway this is not this is not <laughs> not about me Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story and taking us through the steps that you've gone to. I will drop all of the the links into the episode description for things like buying the book, your Etsy page. Also, your band as well, probably, uh, if, if any of that's up on Spotify.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, you can listen to that, yeah. <laughs> I'll stick yeah, all that on there. we were called well. a, a Thousand Sons, so we only have one EP, but that's on Spotify.
1: It's going in the episode description. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you soon, mate. Beautiful. Thank you,
0: Alex. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.
1: Thanks so much for listening to episode three. If you've listened all the way through the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review, maybe even sharing with some of your friends. Similarly, if you've got a story you would like to tell, feel free to get in touch. The email address is in the episode description, along with the links to some of the things we've spoken about in the podcast today. I'll be back with another episode on Monday next week, so hopefully you'll be hearing again from me soon. Thanks, bye!